Hello listeners, welcome to A Writer's World. This is Sean Griffin, a poet and writer who hopes to share some part of that world with you here on KWNK. It's a big subject and we'll see where it leads. Today's program is a departure from words, but not from the people behind them. It is entitled, Beyond the Face of Hunger. The other night I drove 15 miles to the house of a friend. He was alone and it was a holiday evening. An older man, he didn't have much to his name, but possessions were not his concern. He gave me explicit directions, and still I couldn't find his place in the dark. I called him, and soon I saw his flashlight on the dirt road. He was grateful to see me. I knew it had been a while since someone was on that dirt road to his house. He fumbled with the electrical panel, and the lights came on in his trailer, maybe 8 by 15, not more. It was in the mid-30s outside. There was no heat inside. The aluminum door swung in the air. I set the box of food on his desk and asked where his kitchen was. You can leave it there. I eat here, he said. But it's so cold, I responded. It's always cold, he said matter-of-factly. This was not a metaphor. There was no hidden meaning. Then I thought about the man who stood there, a highly educated geologist, an inveterate tinkerer, and a deep reader of many subjects, a polymath, to be sure. The trailer was lined with manila files, hundreds of them. He had shared his arcane research with me before, from books on Freud's free clinics to astrological histories of indigenous people. I couldn't keep up. This was a man whose knowledge was of a magnitude I could not fathom. Here he was, happy that I'd come to bring him food. Food, that omnipresent source of nourishment in this culture, but not always. How is it such a man could need food? When I called a week earlier to ask if we could bring dinner, the first thing he said was, I'm sorry, my car is broken. I can't come volunteer. Isn't it always the ones who have the least who do such things? Ten years prior, a flood washed his entire house from its footings. He lost everything. Not that he had much to lose, but what he did have was gone. He lives in the liminal space between being seen and not seen, between being a productive researcher in his 80s and not having enough money for heat. This is a conundrum we in this culture have trouble visualizing, let alone reconciling. I have written dozens of poems about this conundrum, and it has many names. Not in my backyard. Blame, disgrace, ignorance, and others. None of them are pretty or kind. None of them describe my friend. When I arrived, you would have thought I brought him the winning lottery ticket. So overwhelmed was he. It was only hot food cooked that day. It was enough for a couple meals. It would be gone before the next sun rose. It would be a memory. But he is not a memory. He is a person for whom we cannot find a definition. His family lives far from him, his friends check in on him, and his life is literally in the balance. The last time he fell from his rickety stair steps in front of the trailer, he laid on the dirt for hours until his neighbor happened to stop by. Only then did he go to the hospital to have the broken leg repaired. Seven months later, he was released from rehab to the same rickety stairs, the same old trailer. Once I was inside, he asked me to stay, as he was starved for friendship in this isolating time. 
He wasn't wearing a mask because he has so few visitors. I told him my family and dinner were waiting. A poor excuse. I should have stayed for hours if only to let him know I saw him. He was not invisible. He was alive in every quarter, his mind sharper than most people in their fifties. But I didn't, and I didn't feel good about it either. When I left, he leaned even farther to hug me, and I held him like you hold a child in your arms, the depth of his personhood in my grasp. It was coincidence that brought us together. He used to use the computers that were available to the community in our office. We started talking. There was something in his expression, his willingness to be interested in so many things, that I couldn't resist his excitement. As we started talking, it turns out he had studied with some of the greats in his field and knew other thinkers because he was at one of the finest universities in the land. It seemed an unfathomable distance from that prescient time in his youth to the trailer I stood before. It seemed almost unreal that a man could travel this far only to return with less. Eliot's Quartets has a line about this. We leave to return where we began. I'm paraphrasing, but the point is, none of us are exempt from struggle, from the surly quarters of existence, like the quarters he finds himself in. A man who is kind, humble, and intelligent, with little more than an aluminum box to live in. His situation stands out in this culture because we do not think it is possible to need food here. Food is everywhere. How can that be? I remember the first time I came home from South Africa and walked into a grocery store. Bundles of celery had rolled from the bulging bins to the floor. People stepped over them. There was more produce on the aisle than there was in some stores where I had been. A paradox of perception. Here you can never go hungry. Here there is plenty. Here there is more food than can be had, so why worry? Why worry? I held my friend for what seemed like minutes, but it was not that long, and then I stepped away into the dark. He insisted on following me to my car with his flashlight. I started the car and followed him around the corner. He slept in another trailer, even smaller, maybe six by eight, which had some heat and a few clothes. His abandoned cars circled the lot. When he last came to visit, he jerry-rigged a small heater in his old Ford van with a propane tank. It was very cold. The snow and ice had covered his window. We tried to brush it off, but he did not have a defroster. He had to wait until the makeshift gas heater warmed the car enough to drive, and off he sped. I didn't know if he would make it home. He could hardly see out of the window, but he was adamant that he drive and not stay the night. Adamant because his dignity was behind the wheel. He did this. He made things work. He drove to his home without help. I let him go, pleading with him to call me when he got home. Miraculously, he made it. Something guided him down the icy canyon into the high desert of his home. Something larger than either of us. But this time, as I pulled out of the driveway, his Ford van permanently disabled, I couldn't let go of him. His image in the dark, slight, hunched, glasses thick and smeared, barely enough clothes for spring or fall, let alone winter, would not go away. When I got home, my wife asked, 
Did you remind him to heat the vegetables? I didn't know, I said. I thought the meal was hot. I called him. You have to heat the vegetables. I'm already halfway through the meal. Thank you. It's the best food I've had. I hung up the phone, not really in my house with my family, not really in his with him. I was between, living where we are not supposed to live, without what is taken for granted, food. How foolish of me, a man in his sixth decade, to consider such ephemeral things as why this hunger lighted in a life like his. I remembered the dozens of poems and novels about this topic, the great ones we read in school and others whose corners we peeled in college. They were not enough, but they consoled. This has gone on for centuries. Hunger persists, and there's nowhere to run from its tendrils. In my friend's voice on the phone, thank you again. It was the best food I've had. I looked at my wife and our friend and the table and tried to say something, but could not. His presence was everywhere and nowhere. He was in the desert in his trailer, and we were in a heated house with plates and knives and glassware. This would be how the night ended, in disparity, in disequilibrium, without easy answers. But it was his humanity I could not shake, and thanked him again in the dark before I drove off. I'm not going to read a poem this week. Sometimes words are not enough. Sometimes a man lives outside the borders of a poem and must be seen in all his complexity, flawed though it may be. This concludes our program on Beyond the Face of Hunger. Please join us in the Collective Ethersphere Sundays at 5 p.m. for our next Meditation on Words or stream it at kwnkradio.org. And please support your local independent bookstore. In Reno, that's Sundance Books and Music, and in Las Vegas, that's the Writer's Block. They're open, and we need them. Thank you. Be safe, and spread a little kindness wherever you are.